0: It's the Totally Football Show, European edition today. It's a strike as Freiburg manager gets bowled over. Here come the Cagliari in Syria. There's tie payback in the Olympico, And much more besides as we round up all the big news from around the big European leagues and beyond. It's coming up in the Totally Football Show in association with Paddy Power. Hello there, welcome to our continental edition of the Totally Football Show. Here in the studio, it's James Horncastle. Hi, James. Alvaro Romeos here. Hello, James. Over there, we've got Julian Aron. Bonjour. And on the phone from Iceland, Raphael Honigstein. Hello. Hello, Rafa.
1: Hello, James what do you and everybody.
0: What are you doing in the land of geysers and other geological phenomena?
1: <laughs> I'm launching, I'm helping to launch the Icelandic version of Bring the Noise, James.
0: Fantastic. Ooh, what's,
1: what's that called yes. in Icelandic, Raff? It's called, uh, what's it called in Icelandic? <laughs> Altibot.
2: Well, <great laughs> there <accent>. you
0: go. <laughs> Listeners in uh, Reykjavik and beyond. Uh, that's available right now. Very kindly, you've agreed to take time out from your busy book tour to uh, to tell us what the uh, latest news is from Germany. Just give us a quick headline before we get stuck in.
1: Oh, the biggest headline is, of course, Bayern destroying Dortmund 4-0 in the biggest match of uh, the season, with Hansi Flick probably doing enough, the assistant coach, who is now caretaker, to get the job for the time being.
0: Interesting. James, meanwhile, in City A, no shortage of headlines there. Yeah,
3: we've got Raja Il Ninja taking down Fiorentina. We've got Cristiano Ronaldo being substituted, walking straight off the pitch and going home before the game was even finished. Mm.
0: And... uh Yeah, we've got lots to talk about, James, there. certainly have. We've got Napoli, the ongoing fallout of that. In Spain and outside of Spain, big Spanish news, Alvaro.
4: Yes, outside of Spain, because Saudi Arabia will have four new guests by the beginning of January. There will be Valencia, Barcelona, Atletico and Real Madrid playing the Super Cup in there. And obviously, locally speaking... So four four teams in the Super Cup? uh, Yes. In Saudi Arabia? Yes, Yes, there is a lot of money to to be made. And uh, I will explain a little bit later how much money each team is making for this. Wow. Um, And also in Spain, it's basically back to routine for Lionel right. Messi and the free kicks he yeah. scored a couple of them and that was the 34th hat-trick in La Liga in his career a hat-trick of set pieces I've got a remarkable
0: stat about uh, free kicks coming up later on so that's something to look forward to Jules oh, yes. what about Ligue 1 and the Olympico
2: incredible James uh, a lot of controversy uh, off the pitch on the pitch as well a lot of things happening great game but even better atmosphere at the start Vélodrome. it was really sensational basically lots of things lots of things
0: Looking forward to finding out which. All right, let's just play a little bit of music and then, Rafa, let's go Bundesliga.
5: You're listening to the Totally Furble Show in association with Paddy Power.
1: Continue pass out of the linken flügel. Perisic. Tor! Thiago am ersten Posten. Perisic schlägt den Ball rein. 4-0 for Bayern.
0: Ooh, bring the noise, as Chuck D urged us. And once again, how do you call that in Icelandic? Altibot. Right. Are you sure they're translating that right? It feels like they missed out a whole bunch of it.
1: <laughs> no, the translation is actually full throttle.
0: Oh, okay, ah, yes, right. Yes. That's why you
1: recognise it straight away, James
0: Right, though. okay, full throttle, which would be a great, you know, great description for what Bayern Munich were doing this weekend mm. in Der Classica. 4-0... A brace from Lewandowski. His numbers this season, Rafa, are extraordinary.
1: They're extraordinary. He's now scored in every single game in the league and in the Champions League. He's up to 16 in the league. And this is for a Bayern Munich team that, until very recently, haven't been playing very well. So God knows how many goals he's going to score if they actually play as well as they did on Saturday.
0: So it wasn't just big Lev. The whole team were working well under Hansi Flick.
1: It was a team transformed, James. They they hurried, they hassled Dortmund. They were all over them. Uh, they completely swamped them. Every every Dortmund player who was on the ball had about two or three Bayern players coming bearing down on him. They never got their game going. And Bayern just completely, completely overwhelmed them. And they played with a sort of precision, especially when it came to pressing, that hadn't been seen in a long, long time. Uh, maybe even... Not since Guardiola left in 2016. And it was very, very interesting to listen to Joshua Kimmich after the game, who said, yeah, we had a great structure. We knew exactly who to press and when to press today, because that's what the coach told us, which really doesn't reflect very well on on the previous uh, incumbent. But Bayern were absolutely sensational. But the big caveat is that Dortmund themselves were actually very, very poor and didn't offer much resistance, which has often happened in Munich in recent years.
0: Can you give us a word about Jaden Sancho?
1: Sancho wasn't very good, but I think we have to consider the fact that he wasn't fully fit. He hadn't trained properly. He picked up a hamstring injury in the uh, win against Inter, and when he was substituted after, I think it was only 35 minutes, it wasn't because he'd been particularly bad, or in fact, he just didn't quite look right. Fair
0: enough. So the table looks, uh, looks interesting again. Mönchengladbach are now four points clear of uh, RB Leipzig and Bayern Munich, who are level there in a kind of joint second with Freiburg, who had a pretty interesting game themselves with uh, Eintracht Frankfurt.
1: Yeah, I mean, Freiburg are, are an amazing team. Uh, I think we talked about them in the past. They always uh, find a way of somehow playing much better than uh, the squad would, would have you think they can. Uh, with a fantastic, very idiosyncratic manager, Christian Streich. And Streich was very, very much at the... Was struck. Uh, fourth, yeah, he was struck down by uh, David Abraham, who was chasing a ball that had gone out of play and just basically just ran into uh, Streich, did not slow down and just completely knocked him over. And Streich like, kind of just flew into the air and then down and then laid a little bit like a beetle who just couldn't, couldn't turn himself. And then 20 people from the staff and the subs bench from Freiburg jumped up and were all chasing after Abraham, and it was all very undignified. But Streich, being the kind of man he is, said, yeah, it's okay. He said he apologized to me. He knows he shouldn't have done it. And uh, as far as I'm concerned, the matter is closed. Of course, Abraham was, was um, sent off for that, as was Vincenzo for one of the Freiburg players as well.
0: Right. But uh, Abraham presumably is going to pick up a lengthy suspension. I mean, he totally intentionally clears strike out.
1: Yeah, I think it's going to be violent conduct or something like that. I'm sure three or four matches, um, uh, which doesn't help Frankfurt. But it shouldn't take away from the fact that, as you said, Freiburg were once again really fantastic against one of the, the toughest teams to play against. And, you know, with, with a third of the league gone, they're sitting in the top four, so it's, it's an unbelievable achievement already.
0: All right, another big win for Leipzig in their game uh, away at Her- Hertha Berlin, 4-2. Uh, best thing there for the, the home side, the incredible choreography to uh, commemorate the 30th anniversary of the Berlin Wall coming down. Did you enjoy it? It was remarkable, more than the Leipzig players did.
1: <laughs> I don't know, I thought it was a little bit on the cheesy side, personally. There was no Hasselhoff, uh, um, the... though. <laughs> there was no Hasselhoff, there was no Scorpions. Yeah, that's... Um, no Pink Floyd. I-, I thought it was okay, but a little bit like many things I had to do, a little bit bordering on the NAF bordering. side of things. I like what you did yeah. there,
0: right? Yeah. But uh, just for anyone who didn't see it, you had the kind of uh, the banners that were hoisted in the uh, on the on the tribune on the uh, in the curva, and then across the pitch there was a, a kind of a almost like a life, lifelike, or a full-scale model of the Berlin Wall, complete with graffiti and everything, which was then brought down. I mean, it was quite a full-on... I don't know where you stand on major commemorative events taking place on the pitch, but this was a, a big weekend for those in all sorts of countries.
1: It, it certainly was. And, of course, it's a happy occasion uh, in Germany, so you can excuse a bit of playfulness, uh, perhaps. But I don't know... Um, It didn't quite do it for me, James, I have to be honest with you.
0: All right, then. Uh, What other news should we know from the Bundesliga? Munchen Mönchengladbach with a 3-1 win over Wetter Bremen, as I mentioned, uh, uh,
1: now go four points clear. Uh, Any other big stories? Yeah, there's a couple of more big stories. Uh, No one had been fired in the league until Kovac lost his job by mutual agreement, of course, last week. But now two more have gone his way. Achim Beierlozer at Köln uh, had to bite the bullet. When they lost against Hoffenheim on Friday night, also, I mean, fear the sporting director was sacked immediately after the final whistle. Um, so, Köln doing what Köln always do, which is to make everybody look sane by comparison. And uh, Sándor Schwarz, uh, former player of Jurgen Klopp, a bit of an icon at Mainz. Uh, after his latest defeat at home to Union Berlin, uh, unfortunately, uh, it was the... End of the line for him. He had lost, you remember, that game against Latsk 8-0 the Mm. week before. So they have a catastrophic uh, goal difference. And uh, there was a sense that he didn't really have the right answers to save Mainz from what looks like uh, a pretty tough uh, relegation battle this year.
0: Raphael Honigstein in Iceland. I know you're upset that Arsene Wenger's not going to be taking over at uh, Bayern Munich. I am too. That would have been fascinating.
2: He would. And um, it was a bit of a saga that I don't think reflected well on either Bayern Munich or Karlsruhe Meningo, Julio Honest and Arsene Wenger either because... Mm. Bayern saying that he didn't offer him anything, him then having to come out and said, actually, no, we spoke and we were about to meet and, you know, they did offer me the job. I don't think Arsene Wenger is lying. I don't know where the confusion is really. Mm. Although, you know, I I did write on ESPN about it on on Wednesday morning when this is what sources were telling us. Right. So there's someone not getting it right somewhere. It's it's a shame, though, that he happened that way because I think it was easily avoidable. And I think now NC Flick would get the job until the end of the season.
0: Where's Arsene going to go?
2: I really thought that was the perfect job for him. I don't know what kind of club of his calibre or the kind of calibre that he would want would become available in between now and the end of the season, for example.
0: Well, that's a shame. Still, in the meantime, look, at least he's looking well. Did you see those pictures of him on the beach? 70s
2: Let's not forget. He just turned 70. And he's, he's looking ripped. good, yeah.
0: Yeah, absolutely. It's the broccoli. Is that a big feature of the Wenger lifestyle?
2: Okay. And the cycling as well. It right, was. Yeah. cycles a
0: lot. Who else is looking good? Erling Haaland. That's right. Scored a goal which provoked a bit of a meltdown in Naples last week in the Champions League. This weekend, Red Bull Salzburg beat Wolfsberger in the Austrian Bundesliga 3-0. Who got all their goals? Haaland. What's he on now for the season? I think for his club, Mm.
2: in all competitions, 26 in 18 games, Wow. And if you add add the six assists, that is involving 32 goals, which is more than anyone else in, in Europe.
0: Insane numbers. Where could is Messi do it in Austria? I'm not so sure. Haaland can. Right. Sure. I think Messi might be able to really where where, where is, is Haaland gonna go?
2: Stay there. Why would you want to leave? You're nineteen. Just stay there. Stay there. Have another... That's not
0: how football
3: works, Julia. I don't not care. Not in twenty nineteen, not with social media saying when is Arsenal gonna buy Erling Haaland? <laughs> yeah. Come on.
2: You know what? The most likely route would be RB Leipzig, obviously. Mm-hmm. You know, especially if let's say Timo Werner was to leave right maybe I just think he should stay there another year have another crack at the Champions League or something like that with Salzburg and then he'll have plenty of time to move there's no reason for him to move there, although I think Bundesliga German Bundesliga probably be the right path before moving to England or Spain or anywhere else ok
4: Alvaro your take on this yeah, that I don't know how difficult uh, scoring goals in uh, Austria is. And I'm sure that Haaland is a good player. Mm-hmm. Uh, but uh, we had Jonathan Soriano scoring the hundreds and hundreds of goals five, six years ago. And uh, he was a very poor scorer in La Liga, a really average one. So let's see how he translates his form from the Austrian league to any other league. Although he's, he's done it in the, the Champions, Champions league. league. Yeah. He's done it. Yeah. Yeah. No, that's, that's yeah. definitely yeah. a good point. Yeah. Anfield, Sao Paulo. Genk.
2: Yeah. Gang. <laughs> no, no, that's no, true. No, no, no. I mean it's Jonathan true. Soriano did it in the Europa League because he scored a lot of goals for Salzburg He scored the in every
0: Champions yeah. League game so far, which is impressive. Ireland. Yes. It is impressive. Alright, let's move on then. Next up, Serie A Jose Mourinho here. Let me tell you a thing or two about special. An 18-year career
5: at the top of football management, that's special. League titles in every country I've worked, that's special. What isn't special is winning the daily jackpot on Paddy Power Games.
0: That's right, Jose. Yes, someone wins an average £40,000 jackpot every single day. So if you win, don't think you're special. No respect. Get over it. Daily jackpots by Paddy Power Games. Jackpots must be awarded by 11pm and vary from day to day. Jackpot is shared with other operators. Available on selected games. T and C's at paddypower.com. A-s and and
5: On Spotify, smart speaker and podcast platforms everywhere, this is the Totally Football Show from Muddy Knees Media.
0: Italy, where the big stories are, well, amongst them, Cagliari, incredible Cagliari, and also the clear-out in Naples. This comes about after last week's disappointment in the Champions League and the mutiny, in inverted commas, uh, when the players refused to go back to the training camp for their kind of extended, punitive retiro. There's talk now, after the 0-0 draw this weekend, James, that the stars are all going to be shipped out. Mertens and Callahan maybe this January. Alan and Senior Gulam and Koulibaly next summer, that they're basically just going to chip all the big names out?
3: Look, I think that's a bit of an overreaction at this stage, but I do think when we get to the end of the season, this cycle at Napoli is over. I think it's very difficult for the players and the owner to be reconciled. I think it's very difficult for the owner and the coach to be reconciled as well. Um, you mentioned what happened in midweek. Uh, They basically drew, they were already in this so-called Retiro detention. They were supposed to go back to the training ground. They were told that by the president's son who came down to the dressing room and there was reportedly an altercation between him and some of the leading players. Ancelotti then says, right lads, are we going back to the training ground? And they're like, no, we're going to go get in our cars and we're going home. So given that Ancelotti has defended them and basically came out on the eve of that Salzburg game and said, I disagree with the president. I think that was very disappointing for him. Um, There was a statement put out by Napoli uh, the following day, basically saying, right, Ancelotti, it's your power. You can decide whether the club goes back into detention or not. And that, I think, was essentially inviting him again to go against the president's wishes. So he's in a very difficult situation because if you're fighting for your job, I think in some respects you you back the players because the players can help you Mm. save your job by getting results and getting wins. But the problem is that he did that and they didn't help him at all this weekend. So they drew nil-nil. But before we come to that, James, there is an open training uh, session scheduled. Um, And Napoli haven't had an open training session in five years The last one was when they won the Super Cup under Rafa Benitez. And essentially, this is an opportunity for the Ultras um, to come to the Stadio San Paolo and voice their discontent. And there were banners saying respect. The players were whistled, booed. Ancelotti refused to make eye contact with anyone in the crowd. It was only a small crowd, but it was hostile. Mm. And also, I think whilst Alan was at that training session, his house is burgled whilst his wife, seven months pregnant, is in the house. And the implication in the Instagram post that she put out there is that it was a warning that these things are linked. Right, uh, Zielinski, in the meantime, his car has been vandalized. Um, so it's not uh, a particularly good situation. Uh, there's been all kinds of, of discussion as well about not only how the owner has uh, mishandled this by essentially saying you're going in detention not telling the coach he went on the radio before he told the coach that that was going to be the case and then there's all this kind of these fractures between Ancelotti and the players which have been speculated about because in Genki left Insigne not on the bench but in the stands mm. um, the same with Goulam uh, as well and Carlo Ancelotti's son is his assistant uh, his son-in-law is his nutritionist there is certainly a sense from some of the players that often you can go and confide in an assistant to say, oh, I'm not sure what the manager's doing there. You know, Maybe if we change things up a bit. Maybe if we train different time or did something else, that would be good. But none of the players feel that they can do that. Right. Because ultimately, the assistant, the nutritionist, is going to go and tell teacher. And all of this has led to this very can disappointing start the to the season. Exactly, pretty right. much. Napoli a seventh. They um, have deteriorated the most of all the teams in City R this season. I think they're um, nine points behind this stage where they are were last season. Their attack was the best in the league uh, this stage last year. It's the fifth best. Um, They're obviously miles behind Juventus. At the moment, they're, uh, I think, what, five points off Champions League
0: places. But it's Uh, extraordinary to see not just them falling away, but this is a team that had challenged for the title, imploding or or descending into effectively civil war. Are you surprised as well that the fans have been so critical of people who've been heroes like Mertens and Insigne? So I think they are more tolerant of Mertens. Mm. Mertens, in some respects,
3: has always felt, certainly in the last couple of years, more of a star more Neapolitan than the one who is actually Neapolitan which is Lorenzo Insigne Insigne has always given the impression that he's found it uncomfortable being the chosen one essentially that the guy who is to Naples what Totti was to Rome and he's found that, a very, that crown very heavy um, to wear on his head so he's been the one who's been the focal point of a lot of the criticism. Mertens was the only one at the open training session to go over to the fans and actually have a dialogue with them. So, at the moment, the the players who are in the firing line, it's Insigne, it's Alain, because of all the speculation about what happened in the dressing room on Wednesday. And you mentioned about the futures of these players, James. Callejon's contract is up at the end of the year. Mertens' contract is up at the end of the year. And... Yeah, I think it's a, it's a real concern for Napoli because this is a club that has always been able to get top dollar for right. their players. And regardless of what you think about Mertens and Callejon, who are already in their 30s and coming towards the ends of their careers, they've got players like Fabian, they've got players like Khalidou Beli, who will always go for a lot of money, but obviously it's better if they're playing in a team that is scoring lots of goals, uh, winning, uh, maybe getting a trophy or two. Otherwise, you're
0: going to get less than you might have expected to get from that. Absolutely. Well, we'll see what happens with that or what uh, whether the international break allows Calm to be re-established there. But in the meantime, let's move on uh, with a quick nod to the top two who both won. Inter came from behind, beating Verona 2-1. Brilliant goal uh, from Barella. Yeah, uh, they signed him from Cagliari. From
2: Cagliari. <laughs> I, I mean, unbelievable. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> this is
0: Conte's complaint. You yeah. can't win things with, they oh, can't right. win
2: anything with Barella anyway. So yeah,
0: but a fantastic goal and the club that he left behind Cagliari doing amazing. We'll touch on them in a second, but Juve remained remain top after their one, no win over Milan, uh, 16 points between these two sides coming into the game, 19 afterwards, of course. And, uh, the big news there, apart from the fact that Juve win again, is that DiBala scored after coming on for Ronaldo, who was subbed off before the hour for the second straight game. And as you mentioned at the start, James, headed off down the tunnel and then out of the stadium. Now, there were some suggestions from Sarri on Monday that he actually did it because Ronaldo's got a bad knee. But it's, what's the reality of the situation? Now, he does have a,
3: a knee issue,
0: which is impacting on his quads, his
3: groin. But at the same time, it doesn't excuse... Uh, the behaviour of the player Um, because when he was taken off in Moscow in midweek you could see him and Sarri crossed words on the sideline and this time he goes straight down the tunnel and he leaves before the game has even finished before his teammates have basically come in to celebrate a win against what is historically one of their biggest rivals and Sarri I think was very diplomatic afterwards. And he said, oh, we should be thankful to Cristiano because Cristiano, any other normal player, would essentially say, sorry, mister, I can't play today. I've got this injury. And he's kind of grit his teeth. He's sacrificed himself for the team. He's tried to play. But the reality is, I think the senior players at Juventus who've always been able to kind of hold a line and get everyone to toe to it, I'm going to have to have some words with Cristiano about this. I think Gigi Buffon, I think Giorgio Chiellini are going to... Because in the past, whenever, say, you know Paolo Dybala has been sent to warm up and then doesn't get on and he goes down the tunnels to the wrestling room, he's been left out of the squad for the next game. He's been fined. He's been criticised by uh, the board. You know, Pavel Nedved, for example, coming out. And I think this is the thing that Juventus have always, it's always stood them in good stead, is the club itself, the directors behind the coach, who always are able to help keep discipline. Um, So interesting to see what their reaction is, James. And we shouldn't get around the fact that this has been a very disappointing October-November for Ronaldo. He's only scored five league goals, three from open play. And when he joined the club, the expectation was, okay, they're signing him to win the Champions League. But Ronaldo in Serie A, he'll score 40 goals. He'll score 45 goals. There's nowhere near winning the Capricornieri crown last year. He's already nine off Immobile this year, because Immobile is having a fantastic season. Um, and there are players like Andreas Cornelius, Cardiff City legend, yeah, who've got the same goal. number of goals as him. Uh, Mancosu, against Roman, exactly. Yeah. Mancosu at Lecce has got as many goals as him. Caputo, who I love because he makes his own beer, got as many goals as him. So, so far, when you're paying a player 31 million, right. and th- it's it's clear that the two players most
0: informed at Juventus at the moment are Gonzalo Higuain and Paolo Dybala. Right. And Uh-eh. Ronaldo, on the other hand, as Fabio Capella put it on Sunday night, hasn't beaten a man in three years. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. No, that's, that's what Capella said. Came down very hard on him, saying that
3: <laughs> he has built his entire game, I wouldn't say his entire game, but what's... Ronaldo stands out in his, his, the way he um, manages his body, how much work he puts in in the gym uh, to have that explosiveness. And when that gets away from you, when you lose a, a yard of pace, when you're not as agile as you were, then it catches up to you in a big way. I, I just think he's been carrying this injury um, for a month now. Um, I don't think this necessarily means it. As people pointed out on Twitter when, when I basically said he's gone down the tunnel, he's like, oh, he's finished, his legs are gone. I don't think he's finished. I don't think his legs are gone. I think he's just going through a, a particularly bad period at the moment. And I think it's quite curious as well that in some respects, Juventus under the Sarri, they've played some good football this season, but they're not producing a lot in terms of goals. If you look at XG as well, it's way behind everyone else. And Ronaldo, again, one of the big discussion points around him over the last few years is Ronaldo will finish his career as a striker. Mm. He's not playing as a striker Juventus. He's essentially playing as a winger.
0: All right, well, we'll see again with the international break. Maybe he'll recapture fitness. I don't know what his uh, commitment's going to be like with Portugal. A little bit of good news, though. Up in the top four now are Cagliari. Michael Bub says, James, how far do you think Cagliari can go this season? I must admit, I thought they were one of those teams that caused the surprise at the start of the season. But the way they played this weekend against Fiorentina, they're playing the best football in Serie
4: A
6: right now.
2: They've been
3: to Atlanta and won. Um, and obviously they've had this much fancied Fiorentina side come to Sardinia and they've wiped the floor with them. 5-2, they were 5-0 up um, in this game. It was only when it was kind of already dead and buried that Dusan Vlajevic uh, got a couple uh, for Fiorentina. But, yeah, it's remarkable. I I tipped Cagliari to be one of the surprises of the season back in the summer because... It's their centenary, and they put a lot of investment in. They basically put all the Barella money back into the team um, and made some really good signings, particularly in midfield. But then they lost their star goalkeeper, um, Caragno, and they brought in Robin Olsen, <laughs> right. who had a terrible time at Roma last year, but it has been good this year. Um, and they lost Pavoletti. Um, and given that uh, Caleri's entire kind of game plan last season was cross the ball into the box and let Pavoletti head it in, For him to be out with a blown knee was seen as a real blow and instead um, they've gone from strength to strength because particularly they lost their first two games and now they're unbeaten
0: since then, unbeaten in 10 games for the first time in a decade. And but it's, uh, it's worth watching. I mean, if you, if you haven't seen much of Caleri, particularly this weekend's game with Nangle and just basically running the entire show, scoring an absolute screamer, setting up another three goals. And there, there's so many great goals in there. The Jean-Pedro move, the the wonderful uh, back heel flick from Simeone. Mm. So, the, I mean, to your point, James, about how good the football is that Caleri are playing.
3: They've had 10 different goal scorers. They had five different goal scorers at the weekend. They're getting goals from their defence, their midfield, their strikers, Giovanni Simeone. It was a very emotional game for Simeone playing against his former team, right. Fiorentina. Yeah, where, he looked
0: in tears when he scored.
3: Yes. Uh, I think, A, because last year I think was the hardest of his career so far. Um, you know, He was being booed by the Atomio Franchi. Um, he was then obviously dropped. And in the 13th minute of this game, I don't know if you saw it, they stopped it because this is the game that's very evocative of David Astori. who played for Cagliari and Fiorentina, um, the Fiorentina captain who passed away uh, the season before last. And there are a lot of players in this team, James, that I think look at this season as their redemption. So Naingalan on the back of what happened with Inter last year, Simeone, as we've just mentioned. Marco Rog, who was signed by Napoli, mm. and everyone thought, Rog, wow, he's this really talented Croatian midfield player. It never really happened for him at Napoli. It is happening for him now um, at Cagliari. So I'm curious to see how long they can sustain this. But if you look at some of the wins that they've had, James, it's not just the ones that I've mentioned against Atalanta and, and Fiorentina. But they went to Napoli and beat them away. They held Roma away as well. So they've already gone to a lot of the big sides and got results.
0: Well, we'll talk more about another of the stories uh, Mario Balotelli... And the fallout uh, ongoing from that a little bit later on. But after this, La Liga.
5: You're listening to the Totally Football Show in association with Paddy Power.
0: Alvaro, Sevilla won the El Gran Derby derby <laughs> against Baptist. Loads of other things happen. We have Messi scoring a hat-trick from set pieces. Hazard looking like Hazard again. Ooh, Valencia got their third win in a week. Loads of other goals from people like Lucas Perez, who can't stop scoring. That's the same Lucas Perez, who was briefly at Arsenal, and West Ham...
4: Yes, he is the, the same guy. And uh, in all fairness to him, yep. um, he, he, he's doing a great job at Alavés. It's not easy to score for them.
0: No, so he scored in seven games in a row. Yes. Having previously done that for another club. For indeed.
4: Deportivo de la Coruña.
0: So he's now the first player in Spanish football history to do seven games in a row at two different clubs? Yes, he is. Right.
4: And uh, Well, the last time or the last weekend, he, he scored a penalty. So he's eager, obviously, to keep on breaking his own, uh, his own records. He was talking in Spanish radio uh, ten days ago about his stint at Arsenal, mm. and uh, he wasn't blaming himself entirely for what happened there because. He was saying literally this. Was he there under Wenger? Yeah, Wenger. Wenger. Yeah. Yes, yes. Right. That was the 2016-17 season, right. I can recall. Yeah, And uh, he was saying that uh, he scored a hat-trick in Champions League uh, against Basel, right. which is something that he was very proud of. And then he didn't play for the subsequent five games. Right. He didn't get a start. And he was saying that uh, he wasn't uh, fairly treated by Arsene Wenger. He's doing well. And uh, Alaves is a thing with few rejects that are finding their form again. Mm. The likes of Lucas Pérez is one of them. But but also Joselu, the former uh, striker for Newcastle and Stoke City, is playing up front. Oh yeah, he did score this weekend as well. And John Guidetti, probably you remember this guy because he's, he's a former Manchester City uh, academy guy as well. Yeah. And uh, he didn't play the other day, but John Guidetti is expected to, you know, to, to make his contribution oh. to Alaves as well.
0: Right, John Guidetti yeah? Guidetti. yeah. Yeah, yeah. Okay, he's at Alaves. So yeah, Alaves are in, up in the 14th now, or down in 14th, depending on whether you know you're a glass half full or half empty kind of person. And at the top of the table as you mentioned at the start alvaro barcelona and real madrid are now ahead of the pack but only by one point just one point separating the top four messi's set piece record that's 52 free kicks he's scored now in his career uh, which is incredible and yet there's a player who's got 54 do you know who it is Cristiano Ronaldo. Ronaldo's got more, and I cannot get my head around how this happened.
4: Ronaldo has 54 career free kicks. Yes, he does. Uh, Obviously, the the level of uh, effectiveness of Messi is pretty impressive. Since 2015, he has scored 12.6% of his free kicks, which is uh, pretty much unbelievable. When you watch Ronaldo
0: take a free kick, I mean, how many times does he actually score them? Virtually never.
4: The thing is that Lionel Messi started uh, taking the free kicks. He started being the Barcelona free kick taker around 2011. Before him, there was Ronaldinho. Mm -hmm. Then there was Thierry Henry, Rafa Márquez, Xavi Hernández. There were a few players who were taking them. And uh, at some point, Messi proven that uh, he was uh, good enough to do it. And uh, I think that Messi's uh, scoring ability is hiding Barcelona's many problems again. The other day, second half was... uh, Really, really boring for any impartial supporter.
0: Right. At the, the, the weekend? and the weekend, yeah. Right. So their last eight goals, at Barcelona, he scored six of them and he assisted the other two. So it gives you a measure of how much they are, basically, depending on his talent. The midweek game, there were no goals from them in the Champions League against Slavia Prague. He wasn't able to, to change that. How much pressure has that added uh, to the manager Valverde, that goalless draw at home?
4: A little bit, definitely. Uh, No one at the club is uh, questioning him publicly, but obviously Ernesto Valverde doesn't have uh, the love of Barcelona supporters in the same way that Guardiola or Luis Enrique did. The thing here with uh, Barcelona is that... um they put themselves in a very complicated situation now because it, they seemed that they were capable of uh, getting 10 points from the first Champions League uh, four games, which would be a tremendous uh, collection of points. And suddenly they've got only eight and they have to play against Borussia Dortmund at home and against Inter Milan away. Mm. So this is adding a lot of pressure to uh, Barcelona. That
3: they uh, only have players from Cagliari, <laughs> Sassuolo, I mean, you know, Conte's only got like five players he can pick from. It's easy for Barcelona.
4: He's a very good manager, Conte. <laughs> and the, the first half of Inter Milan against Barcelona was one of the most uh, dominative uh, performances I've seen at Camp Nou in recent years from, uh, from an away team. I would say that uh, despite them being top of the table, Barcelona, there is uh, something that tells you that the club uh, is in Real trouble now and uh, that they for some reason they cannot produce uh, football from the midfield and this is uh, clogging up the attack of Barcelona and also hampering the defence very badly they got a victory this weekend, yes 4-1, but at the same time From the last five Barcelona goals, only one has been from open play. The rest of them from a set piece, which tells you that Barcelona at the minute doesn't have a playing plan.
0: Okay, Real Madrid up there with them, ahead of uh, Atletico Madrid and Sevilla, who were, as we mentioned, derby winners. Real Madrid, who did have a whopping win in the Champions League match day four against Galatasaray, 6-0, with uh, a hat-trick from Rodrigo. Can you tell us more about this young Brazilian star, Adoro?
4: Yeah, he's a young player who was signed by Real Madrid in 2018, but Real Madrid decided to leave him one more year at Santos oh. so he could uh, develop as a player.
0: How, how big do you think he's going to be? <laughs>
4: It's difficult to say because uh, he has played only a fortnight of football, really. But uh, he seems to have all these things that Vinicius doesn't. Mm, he's got much more clarity than Vinicius. Probably not uh, his athletic condition, but and at the same time, he's a player who goes straight to the point very, very quickly, very in a very mature way. Mm. For example, Neymar. At the beginning he was a player and he still is a player who can produce tremendous things but sometimes he's uh, wasting a bit of time he's too much in rhetoric uh, whereas uh, this guy Rodrigo. He reminds me quite a lot of Raúl in the sense that uh, from the age of 17 or 18, they go straight for the goal. They don't make it too complicated. And uh, the fact that uh, this guy was capable of scoring a goal in his debut game for Real Madrid, and then he has scored the Champions League hat-trick, I think in his second game uh, playing Champions League, tells you that uh, this is a scoring force. He's got uh, the know-how in the box about what to do with the ball where to put the ball and he's finding the net very easily
0: Just a point behind Real Madrid are Atletico Madrid and Sevilla following their derby win What were the scenes like there?
4: Well obviously it was an unbelievable display before the game and uh, there was uh, this... uh these lights and uh, this uh, anthem a capella by Betis supporters and all these things that uh, make this derby one of the most specials in Spain. But uh, I was uh, rather surprised by the way Julian Lopetegui and Sevilla celebrated this victory. It's either Julian Lopetegui is fully integrated in the Sevilla ethos and uh, he knows that winning this derby is the most important uh, for the supporters and uh, it is for himself now. And it could be as well that Sevilla believes that this season, uh, given that uh, Barcelona is not finding their game, Real Madrid, uh, they are uh, under a renovation process, and Atletico de Madrid is not playing too well either and not getting as many results, maybe Sevilla believes that this is a season uh, where they can do something. Lucas Ocampos was, again, uh, excellent. He he scored the first goal for Sevilla. And then uh, De Jong, the Dutch striker, managed to score the second one. Uh, he has been contested by Sevilla fans because he was never able to, to score easy chances against Barcelona at Camp Nou. But it seems that now he has found a way uh, to score goals for Sevilla and the Jong is going to be a tremendous addition for the team for the season. So it's been a very important victory for Sevilla. In the Europa League, they have done the job already. They are qualified for the next stage. So now they can focus until February on La Liga. And uh, I never believed that Sevilla was going to be that good because they had a new manager and also Monti was back with probably no time to settled down like a workflow hmm. yet and at the same time 14 new players arrived to the team and some of them they were rejects as well players that uh, didn't make it at Porto like Oliver Torres players hmm. that didn't make it in France at least in every season like Lucas Ocampos and they all yelled together very well so I'm not saying that this Sevilla is going to be as good as Juan de Ramos Sevilla or Unai Emery Sevilla but they are on the way to become again a really interesting team in La Liga
0: One point off the top Granada the former leaders you will recall have dropped down to Eighth in the meantime, very nice. Before we leave La Liga, can you just explain a little bit more about the background and what the reaction has been to this plan to turn the Super Cup from a kind of one-match community shielding into some mini-tournament, money-spinning mini-tournament? Mm
4: in the controversial location of Saudi Arabia, of all places. Well, nobody liked this idea very much, but it seems that the Spanish FA is going ahead with it. They are going ahead with it, and they have pretty much imposed it because there is a money lot in there for the participants uh, who are not true in this case. Uh, The Spanish Super Cup was played in the past until this year, Or until next year, to be more precise, uh, between the Spanish Cup winner and the Spanish League winner. Right. Well, this season there are two more guests to it. Uh, so the second of La Liga and the third of La Liga are invited as well, which uh, makes uh, so the top three of the league against yeah, the Cup winners. Against the Cup winners, yeah. And uh, it's going to be in a playoff system. So there will be a semi final and a final. The draw has been made. Is there going to be a third, fourth playoff? Um, I'm not too sure about that. Really. I hope not. I'm not too sure about that. <laughs> (laughs) How much money are they going to make from this? Yeah, they are going to make... This is a three-year contract for the Spanish FA. So the Spanish Super Cup is going to be played in Saudi Arabia for three years. And the contract is for 120 million, which will be served uh, with the clubs. And also part of it will go to the Spanish FA. And then there is a condicio sine qua non from the Spanish FA saying that uh, there has to be free access for women to any stand in the pitch and there will be no dress code for women so basically they can wear whatever they can wear. Uh, these are the conditions that the Spanish FA are putting so the games go ahead. And are they presumably so, spinning
0: that saying no we are a, a modernising force for change in Saudi Arabia. What's, uh, what's the reaction been to this in, in Spain?
4: Bad reaction generally speaking uh, not only for the uh, sporting point of view because it doesn't make any sense that four teams play it but also because they are taking the cup away from Spain yeah. which is another thing that we haven't about. So basically you're taking the football away from the supporters. And literally the Spanish FA president, Jose Luis Rubiales, says that this is an aim to help the country because they believe that football can help. So, you know, we have heard this message many times and all that, but we all know that the 120 million that the Spanish FA is going to put in their pocket is what moves the world. Oh, yeah. yeah. Hmm. It's gonna help the, For- it's gonna help the clubs in La Liga. <laughs> <laughs> for, all the, uh, for
2: all the cinema they made about going to the US and play a La Liga match in the US yeah. and Miami and all of that and now as soon as Saudi Arabia offers more money they go like Do you know what mm, I don't fancy Miami but yeah let's go somewhere in Saudi Arabia
5: You're listening to The Totally Football Show with James Richardson
2: Marseille Maxime Lopez Dimitri reparation
0: Jules, tell us all about Ligue 1. Andre Villas-Boas up to second place with Marseille.
2: Yeah, first time uh, ever at this stage of the season that the um, the second place in the table has a negative goal difference, though <laughs> <laughs> minus one. It's just going to be perfect. However, they did it in style because they beat Lyon on Sunday night mm-hmm. in the Olympico, that the uh, the Marseille press renamed the. Olympic show because show as in heated because there was so much hostility before the game with Rudy Garcia coming back to the velodrome and uh, Did we the ne- Lyon
3: fans not just say you can keep him?
2: <laughs> well yeah the Lyon fans didn't want him and now that he's there the Marseille fans didn't want him to come back basically uh, and Dimitri Payet the, the Marseille captain on Friday in his press conference before the game uh, was superb, really, in terms of man games and in terms of, of kicking off a game before and, you know, setting the scene of it uh, because he basically destroyed Rudy Garcia, you know, in, in so many ways, saying that another new manager, A. Villas-Boas, uh, speaks with his heart. There's, there's no BS from him. He was talking about uh, the last time they played Lyon and Garcia was the master manager and the way Garcia talked about the Lyon players, the Lyon fans and the, the Lyon president. So all of that was brilliant. Uh, then we knew that things were going to turn a bit ugly. Obviously, before uh, Lyon were warned not to come with the official buses, you know, the, the the bus of the club. Oh, really? Yeah, because it was too dangerous. Guess what they did? They ignore uh, the warnings.
0: What are they going to do? Take like a vacance, whoever bus? Yeah, I mean, a normal bus. going to know which bus they're well,
2: on. Well, maybe huh? not. That's what Marseille do when they come to Paris. That's okay. what PSG do when they go to Marseille. Really? But Lyon thought it was still a bad idea to come with their bus and their bus with the players on it on the way to the velodrome. Yeah. Were attacked. Uh, and they threw stones at it, broke the windows, wow. and yeah, it was, it was really hostile. It's like uh, Man City going to, to Anfield. Yeah, no, it was. <laughs> but, but, but we knew that was going to happen. That's the thing, we knew that was going to happen. And then, do you remember in 2015 when Valbuena came back to Marseille with Lyon as well, and, and the Ultras put the, the little um, doll of Valbuena uh, hung up? Yeah, but
7: hung by his neck. Yeah, hung mm. by his
2: neck. He was not that bad, but Garcia got it bad in the neck. And obviously, for the first time in more than five years, Marseille beat Lyon at the Vélodrome as well. So, all in all, a pretty bad night for Lyon and for Garcia and a right. pretty good one for Marseille.
0: And Payet, who taken the manager apart pre-game then scored a brace. Well it scored both goals for cool. Olympique Marseille.
2: Yeah both goals. The second one especially uh, was fantastic. He, he got the ball back with a the tackle, then played it wide with the outside of his right foot and then finished it and then had a, a Diego Simeone kind of reaction celebration in front of the uh, the Ultras and the Cup where you know he, he hold his um, cojones. his cojones. At- his attributes. His attributes <laughs> indeed I mean the, the fans were obviously you you know attacking the bus of the other team is not a good thing to do. They threw a few flares as well. The game had to be suspended because there was so much uh, smoke on the pitch. But uh, the choreography they had before the game was absolutely incredible. Oh, yeah, it was amazing. It's for the 120th anniversary of the club as well. So the three stands out of the four had the TIFOs with, uh, you know, blue and white uh, piece of paper that you showed. And then one stand had... Uh the crest of the city of Marseille with the star from the Champions League winning '93 just behind. Another one had An asterisk the
0: asterisks next to it or not?
2: Not the asterisks next to okay. it, but I guess could have had that. The other one had Notre Dame de la Garde, which is the, the most famous monument in Mar right. in Marseille, the church. And the third one had in 3D as well, um the, the founder of um, of the club, René Dufour de Montmirail. In you know, like a 3D uh, tifo, which was absolutely stunning, and through the whole game, the the atmosphere and everything was just fantastic.
3: As a Paris-born lad, Jules mm. Jules has nothing but respect yeah. for Marseille. Was
2: and they beat the record of the most the biggest um, attendance for a Ligue 1 game before, oh, yeah. with sixty-five thousand four hundred and twenty-one, previously fans. held by Monaco. Uh, <laughs> could have but no he was a Marseille PSG game at the Velodrome as well oh, Jules, it, was, it was really good it was really really
3: good Jules Rudy Garcia obviously not popular there was that banner saying you're, you're not going to get any patience from us. His, his first game yeah. he won three games in a row going into this in all competitions what realistically is the kind of outlook for him going forward do you, do, do you foresee a, a situation whereby they go through another manager even though
2: you're, I mean they're 14th in the table they really, they're still not too far because it's really tied between, let's say, you know, even second place and the bottom three, to be fair. But what's saving him is that win in the Champions League, um, against Benfica, in the against Benfica and the fact that they, they should really qualify for the last 16, which would be very positive for him. I'm not sure the Lyon fans will be kinder to him anyway, mm. but at least that would be a first step towards okay, this is a good season because we in the last 16 of the Champions League, but in the league, the form has to improve consistently and right. that was a big game for him to, to win had they won that and they, they, they were without Memphis Depay and Tuzar which are the two key players for them wow. okay. but they played for 11 against 10 for half an hour after Alvaro was sent off for Marseille right. and they were still very disappointed not you Alvaro your brother Alvaro I wish and so so there's still a lot of things to improve and there, there I agree with off,
0: uh, five points off the top three so yeah. the, it's not yeah, the, too bad but it's not completely compromised yet. it's still a
2: very tense uh, environment at the club right now.
0: Okay. Paris Saint-Germain won uh, 2-1 at Brest with Mauro Icardi coming on with 10 minutes to go and almost immediately scoring the winner. They are eight points clear at the top. Icardi scores a goal every 17 touches in league.
2: Incredible. And Cavani, Cavani started and had that was his opportunity to, you know, come back a bit in the duel with, with Icardi to try to reclaim that first place as a striker. And he had only one shot on target. He was, he was really poor. Mm. And Icardi comes on. Second touch, touches the ball. And he scores the winner again. You know, he's like nine in the last eight now. He's been incredible. And, and you do worry for Cavani because he's not going to play much. And Icardi now is the, the real number one. Maybe he'll be heading to
0: MLS soon, Cavani. Maybe. I know we will be actually on the football show in That's a minute it. or two to hear about the uh, MLS Cup. Not far off the top three, only two points behind are Montpellier who are staging something of a comeback. What's going on there?
2: Great start of the season for them in sixth place, as you said, and they, they won very convincingly this weekend against Toulouse at home. And the great story about that game is that Andy Delors and Tegi Savanier, the two best players, really scored in that game. And the good thing about it is that they are both from the Gypsy community and they grew up together. Their families are very, very good friends and they've known each other forever. They're from Montpellier. It's their boyhood club. And for the first time in their career, they actually played together for Montpellier. Because Savani joined from Nîmes in the summer, and Delors <laughs> has been there for a couple of seasons, and they both scored on Sunday against Toulouse in that uh, in that great win to carry Montpellier into sixth place. So oh, right. Teji and Andy, the uh, new Gypsy Kings,
0: the new Gypsy Kings. Savani, Savani really still bad. lives in the uh, in the building he grew up in. Is yeah, that right? in the
2: council estate with his family. Uh, that's remarkable. It's incredible. So how long has he been a professional, for? So he went through the lower leagues uh, with Nîmes, and now that's his second season in Ligue 1. I mean, wonderful player. Uh, top assist player last season with uh-huh. him. His dream move was always to go to Montpellier and he got that in the summer, got injured. That's why he started a bit later and he's just back from that injury now and he's already like shining with Montpellier. Uh, wonderful story.
0: One Italian story that we uh, didn't mention before was the kind of ongoing aftermath of the racist abuse that Mario Balotelli received in Verona. And unfortunately, there was a kind of similar situation this weekend in ukraine where tyson of Shakhtar donetsk kicked a ball into the stands as balotelli had done after being abused but was sent off by the referee and and left the field in tears the balotelli story there's been one or two twists since we last talked about it one of the verona ultras who went on the radio saying that balotelli is black and therefore could never be a real italian has been banned by the club for 10 years which is Good news that some action has been taken there. The Verona manager, uh, Ivan Juric, has now apologised for saying that there wasn't any racist abuse. He's said that he was wrong to say that. A really curious thing was that Balotelli's own club, Brescia, their their ultras, decided that this was a good time to put out a, an incredibly lengthy official communique, you know, one of these great ultras official statements that they do, in which, and this has been quite widely picked up, they describe... Balotelli is arrogant, I mean, which is a bizarre thing to choose to do to one of your own players at a sensitive moment like this. What was the communique actually released about, James? <laughs> I know it's about 3,000 words long, but what is it, uh, why did they release this kind of essay at this point? Well, I mean, they do put out that um,
3: yeah, racism is a factor in society. In fact, it's getting a lot worse.
0: Oh, right. So they do actually recognize that.
3: Yeah, but they also kind of say, let's play devil's advocate here for, <laughs> for, for, for the Verona Ultras. Right. Um, I mean, the Balotelli is arrogant comment right. is kind of separate. Um, and it's like, you know, we weren't overly enthusiastic about Mario Balotelli coming, even though he's from Brescia. He's always wanted to play for Brescia. We had reservations. Um, and... Yeah, for example, yeah, they cite a couple of things that have gone on already this season, which yeah, they think you know a Brescia player should just focus on uh, working hard for the team and making the uh, the shirt wet with sweat, right, or um, that kind of thing, which is a complete other issue um, to to the racism. But yeah, at the end, they they ultimately say, as a movement, we defend uh, Verona. Because we believe that the media's got carried away with this, and that uh, they're using it as a Trojan horse to introduce more repressive measures against the ultra movement. Right,
0: which is a which is a constant worry for the ultras. Mm. I just can't imagine if, for example, a white Italian player had been abused by Verona's ultras, that Brescia would be not leaping to their defence.
3: No, I think uh, that there is that, uh, and there's also you know the classic kind of well, you know, Marius played at. Uh, Played at Verona before. He knows what to expect.
2: I mean, arguably the two sets of Ultras hate each other, right?
0: Yeah, but beyond that, they have a common unifying thing, which is they are Ultras who have a common enemy, which is the state, the state of football, who want to commercialize, who want to take away football from the people to whom it should belong, the soul of the game, which is the Ultras. So beyond all of their regional rivalries they have that unifying thing they are fellow warriors fellow freedom fighters for football and in some ways there are elements of this which are admirable but it also gets tied in with a lot of really very very wrong stuff yeah so just a bizarre thing. Anyway, some sections of Verona's ground are going to be closed because of the racist abuse. So some action is being taken. Is it enough? No. Will this continue happening? Yeah, almost certainly. And we'll be back talking about this soon enough. For now, let's move on. Very shortly, we're going to catch up with Luis Miguel Ichigaray, who's going to tell us all about the dramatic events Sunday evening in Seattle in the MLS Cup. Right now, though, it is time for Producer Ben to chat with Paddy Power. Lee Price
5: is on the line from Paddy Power. Lee, let's start with the Bundesliga. It's been over a week and one of victory later. We still don't know who the next Bayern manager is going to be, though. What the markets saying?
7: Well, Arsenal has been making all the right noises, hasn't he? But he's a distant 6-1 to one in this betting. That does put him second favourite. We've got an overwhelming favourite, though. It's 1-7 that Hansi Flick, the current caretaker boss, is installed on a permanent basis, likely till the end of the season, when they can go all guns blazing for someone who's currently in a job. Jose Mourinho is fourteen to one in this market. This will not be his return to football if our traders know what they're talking about, and I, for one, believe in them.
5: Over in France, another goal for Maro Icardi for PSG. Um, what are the chances of him finishing the top scorer in Ligue One? Yeah, it's gone slightly,
7: only very slightly, under the radar. But Icardi has returned to form almost immediately for PSG, and he's four to one to be top scorer for Ligue One. That makes him second favourite behind a certain Kylian Mbappe, who is six to five. I can't believe that's not odds-on, to be honest. Neymar is 5-1 in the betting before we finally get a non-PSG player. Ben Yedder is 7-1 to win the Golden Boot in France.
5: And finally to Italy, where Atalanta are still in the Champions League, just about. There's a big lunch running on this for James Horncastle. Can they reach the knockout stages?
7: That lunch is finally balanced right now. It's 7-2 that Atalanta go through to the Champions League knockout stages, but that puts them third in our betting. Uh, Shakhtar are odds on currently to go through with City while Dynamo are 3-1 so it will all come down to that showdown a couple of weeks between Zagreb and Atalanta with the Italian side's odds on to win that but then of course they'll need to get a result against Shakhtar in the final group fixture it could be a tight one
0: you can find out these odds and more at paddypower.com or the Paddy Power app. Prices are accurate at the time of recording. It's over 18s only. Terms and conditions apply. And when the fun stops, stop.
2: We give it to Seattle, spread it across the
6: country. Hands up. This is the moment. Tonight is the night. We'll fight till it's over. And so we put our hands
2: up like the ceiling can
0: well. That's Macamore uh, performing in Pioneer Square, Seattle. Ahead of MLS Cup this Sunday when Seattle Sounders took on and beat Toronto FC. Joining us on the line now from the United States is Sports Illustrated's Luis Miguel Ichigaray. Hi, Luis.
6: Jimbo, so happy to be back. (laughs)
0: That's great news. Uh, Delighted to have you. Sorry that we've managed to leave it to the last game of the MLS season. But uh, just in time, tell us about the dramatic scenes on Sunday in Seattle as uh, they took on Toronto FC for
6: the third time in four years in the MLS Cup? Absolutely. And it's quite a dynasty, Seattle's building. I mean, listen, let's focus primarily on, on, on something that is really not talked about enough, which is the atmosphere. We already knew about what happened with Atlanta United last year more than 75,000 people at mercedes-benz stadium such an electric atmosphere and, and a great a narrative for mls and and soccer football here in the united states and now again we come back to seattle 70,000 tickets sold the crowd is electric and it was a you know a quintessential final amongst two experienced teams in the league and it was it was quite a scene to be honest it was a, a match where um, seattle uh, really at many times of the match didn't really play like they were the home side toronto was resilient experienced and this was without josie altador their key number 9 hmm. so it was um it was a really great final where in the end the sounders came out victorious the other factor of this is that nobody saw this one coming everybody knew about lafc's tremendous regular season with carlos vela um, people maybe thought that Zlatan Ibrahimović and LA Galaxy were finally going to you know, get to MLS Cup. Um, or even on the other side with Atlanta United under Frank De Boer, maybe you know coming back to the final after uh, a slow start in the season. But nobody saw this final uh, happening and, and it did. And, and well done to both teams, especially the Sounders.
2: Raul Rui Diaz, he may only be 5'7", 145 pounds, but his presence on the field you feel like
6: he's 6'5", 300. He punches you right in the face for 90 minutes. Deal with it.
0: I imagine you were particularly pleased when Raul Ruiz Diaz scored.
6: Absolutely, absolutely. A fellow Peruvian. He did great. Not many, I guess, in Europe know about him. Maybe you saw snippets of him in the World Cup last year. He is basically Paulo Guerrero's backup for Peru. He came to Seattle from Liga MX uh, with Monarcas, and he's really been a a, a great addition and kind of a, a good example of what this league represents, which is discovering Latin American talent that's young-ish and that's still undiscovered. And, and he had a great, great final and a good season. All
0: right. I, over here, MLS is known, I guess, more for the fact that you'll get big names out of their usual context like Ibrahimović, like Pirlo, that kind of thing, and, and Wayne Rooney. But you're right, so many uh, so many Latin stars coming through there. When we look at the next MLS season, who, who do you think is already looking uh, like they might be arriving? Which clubs? What, what kind of developments do you think are going to be happening uh, over the off-season for you?
6: Well, there are two teams that are going to begin play next season. One of them is Nashville. Uh, coming into 2020, but obviously the big story is uh, David Beckham's uh, Inter Miami, which is really just creating a lot of noise here. And, you know, the culture in Miami of football is obviously so big with its Latin American and international influence. So that's really the main headline. I actually interviewed Jorge Mas and Paul McDonald, who are both, uh, you know, the executive and the development directors for Inter Miami uh, last month. And one of the things that I pressed them on was, obviously, we're trying to find out who the manager is going to be Mm -hmm. and who the designated player is going to be. They confirmed with me that the manager is most definitely going to be somebody that has played both in Europe and has South American or Spanish reputation. Um, So you could think about somebody like Santiago Solari, uh, who could be a, a major player. And then in the DP market, honestly, with that money, with that investment, you know, Edison Cavani, who's probably losing a spot to at PSG, could be a player. Uh, there are many, many key players. Like you said, MLS is popular, obviously, with the Slatins and the Roonies that come, and Inter Miami is going to be no different. But I can definitely uh, say that you will be looking at a Latin American-influenced team there uh, that understands how to not just play well but represent the culture, just like Carlos Vela did with LAFC.
0: Has it been a good season, Luis?
6: It has. It has been a good season. I think the quality, I think one of the misconceptions about MLS is like, obviously the quality is not as good, but as we have talked about, it's not just about these, uh, you know, former, you know, uh, in their prime stars that are coming to the league, but it's also about the Latin American and international talent that comes in. we all talk about your Roonies and your Islatans, but nobody mentions the fact that somebody like Pavon from Boca Juniors came here to play on loan. There's also Diego Rossi, the Uruguayan. There's a Uruguayan kid called Brian Rodriguez that plays for LFC that's so good. And that influx of like young talent that comes in, along with the investment in homegrown talent, is only going to help the league. And let's not forget, I mean, the MLS uh, Cup on Sunday was on ABC, like crime network television, right in the middle of an NFL Sunday. And that's nothing but good news for the US and North America as this league keeps developing.
2: Hi, Luis. It's, uh, it's Julian. We were talking with James Horncastle before about the, uh, the Don Garber, Ibra, AC Milan thing uh, before before the final. And, I, you know, apart from the fact that it was clumsy and not true that Ibra was going, to AC, was going back to AC Milan, the idea very much was that Garber wanted to show that there are big European clubs who are now coming to do their shopping in MLS. We saw that with Almiron, Joseph Martinez might be another one that at some point we make the move across the Atlantic to to Europe. And, And is that the feeling that you have over there now watching it all the time? Is that the league is improving so quickly and those players, especially like you said, undiscovered South American talent will go to MLS, make a name for themselves and then go to Europe instead of going straight to Europe like a lot of them have done before?
6: 1,000 percent, Julian. It's actually an article that I wrote before, which is basically, aside from the fact that we are bringing in Latin American talents and all this sort, this is also a league that's a stepping stone. I mean, look at Miguel Almiron. Granted, he hasn't scored any goals for Newcastle yet, but he is a player that is very important to them. And I think that's just going to be a trend that you keep seeing. There is a huge number of players that are still not discovered. I mean, we haven't even talked about NYCFC and the talent that they have over there as well. So, you know, there are players all over the league that are now going to not just play well here in the US, but also they will become more eyes and more of a fixture to go to Europe eventually. A lot of these teams and MLS place their scouting departments no longer in North America or even smaller regions in Europe. They go to Argentina, they go to Uruguay, they go to all these places where they can discover the next Almiron, Brian Rodriguez, etc. And I think that's nothing but good news.
2: Do you know who the coaching assistant at Seattle is? Is it Jimmy Traore? Liverpool legend, Jimmy Traore. Okay, good. MLS champion assistant
0: thing. <laughs> yeah, Brian. Okay, well, that, that's great. And uh, that is it for this edition of the Totally Football Show, a continental roundup. We're not back next week because it's an international break. But we will be the week after that. And who knows how many stories we'll have to tell by then. Hey, Jules?
2: People might protest that there's nothing next week when it's a very important week. Is it a big week, Jules? Yeah, a lot of countries will or won't qualify for the next Euros. We will know all of that
0: yep. by next week. Luckily, we'll have totally regular Totally Football Show updates on Thursday night and Fair Monday enough. night. So, you know, I think we'll be covered. Fair enough. Anyway... Great to see you today, Julianne Alvaro. Thank you. And James Horncastle. Great. <laughs> Raphael Honigstein in, in uh, Iceland, of course. And Luis Miguel Ejigaray there in America. Listen, thank you for being with us. We will return with more Totally Football Shows in the meantime, but the European edition will be back in a fortnight for now from all of us here. It's goodbye.